Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. So last week, we kicked off our sermon series on Think 3, and we were challenging ourselves in the series to think differently about investing in the next generation. Because here's the reality, is that with every coming generation, there's a higher population Each generation is bigger than the next, it seems like, from what the statistics tell us. But with each each generation, there is a decrease in percentage of Christians. And I don't know about you, but that, that hits me in the face today with a stark reality that maybe what we've been doing may not work going forward. That maybe the way we've thought about how we invest in the next generation and we share the message of Jesus, maybe we have to tweak that. And so... Today, I want to talk on some practice how that we do that. So last week, John talked uh, to think three is to think long-term, it's to serve and stay young. And he said something great, and I wanted to just repeat it again this week, that just because our bodies are aging doesn't mean that our minds need to as well. Yeah. That was great. But today, we're going to take a look at how we empower the next generation What does that mean? What does that look like? And what are some effective strategies for how we do that? Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you today, Lord, that in this moment we just get to be in your presence. Lord, I'm reminded this morning that your word says we're two or more gathered, there you are with us. And so God, thank you that you are in the middle of our service today, that you are in the middle of our gathering. Lord, and I just ask that we would just put you on the throne of everything today. Lord God, that any worries and anxieties of of what might come tomorrow, what's coming up this week. God, that those would just melt away in this moment and that our minds would be affixed on you and the words that you would have to say. Lord, let me speak your words and help me to deliver this message today. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to help us paint a picture of where we are currently at in regards to investing in the next generation, I want to share with you a little bit of a of an article from the Barna Group. And if you're not familiar with the Barna Group, they are an organization that looks across the landscape of the church and culture as a whole to begin to pick out trends and help the church lead forward. And here's an excerpt from their article, how leaders can help young people make a purpose pivot. It says this, imagine this, you're talking to two young people, perhaps after church or in your family room. Both of them are in a good mood They answer your questions, engage in conversation, and even crack a few jokes with you. They seem totally fine on the outside. The inside may be a different story, however. Data from Barda's recent study show that in describing their experience with various emotions, 44% of 13 to 21-year-olds report feeling lonely a lot or some of the time. So odds are that one of those two young people you just spent time with is struggling with loneliness. According to a nationwide interview conducted, only one in four U.S. teens, that's 25%, feels empowered. Those who are categorized as empowered express a number of sentiments, including that they feel able to accomplish their goals and think someone believes in them. But that means that 75% of U.S. young people Do not share those feelings. Our interviewees who were empowered to express their purpose through social activism show that they enjoy doing so with others. 
This is my takeaway from this study. As hard as it is to hear some of these statistics, my takeaway is that one of the best ways we can empower the next generation is to invite them alongside us to live a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus. In scripture, we see a relationship like this play out. This friendship is between the apostle Paul and Timothy. (laughs) Timothy's been with Paul on his missionary journeys and has been helping Paul sustain the missionary efforts um, in a certain region where Paul had, had planted churches as he went about preaching the gospel. And I wanted to look at this personal letter that he writes to Timothy and get a glimpse at their relationship. So 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7 says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's what I believe that we're to learn in regards to empowering the next generation. I believe this verse shares three things with us. One is to build relationship. The next is encourage the gift of God in the next generation. And then lastly, be an example for them. I think it goes without saying that if we are going to be a force of empowerment for this next generation, we need to build relationship with them. But this is probably the hardest part of it all, wouldn't you say? If we're being honest, I think each generation looks at the next and says to themselves, I'm not sure that I have much in common with them. We don't like the same music. We can't agree on what real fashion is. I don't really know how to relate with them. And these things seem to be a mental wall between us and those who are from other generations. But can I propose that maybe these differences are so stark to us because our society has become so individualistic that even most of us can't relate so much with each other anymore. And it's not a surprise that there is such a difference between the generations. But with that said, there is still more in common between the generations than we could imagine. We all seek the same basic needs, have similar fears for the future, and at the end of the day, we're all looking for purpose, aren't we? It may be awkward, and it may be hard, but the Bible shows us plenty of examples of those who pushed past the awkwardness, past the tension, to build these relationships. You know, it reminds me of the story that's in the Old Testament. It's the story of Naomi and Ruth, and you can find this in the book of Ruth. So both of Naomi's sons and husband have just passed away. She and her daughter and her two in-laws have now found themselves widowed. So the three of them are not only are they grieving, but they are now having to find a way to make arrangements for the basic needs of life. They're wondering, where is my next meal coming from? How am I going to find shelter? What, who is going to protect me? Am I even going to have water to drink today? But in this moment of this great sadness, 
Naomi, with tears in her eyes and sadness in her heart, decides that she ultimately needs to send her daughter-in-laws back to their families of origin, that she cannot provide for them. But her daughter-in-laws loved her so much and did not want to leave her. Finally, after asking a second time, one of the daughters-in-laws left, but the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, said, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Wow. What an impact that Naomi had on Ruth. The impact that a mother-in-law had on a daughter-in-law. Naomi had built such a relationship with Ruth that even when one of the hardest losses that one can have in life, they could not be separated. Ruth believed that it would be better to stay with Naomi and face the uncertainty than to return back to the comfort that she had always known. What is worth noting here is that the younger generation sought after the older generation in this circumstance. And can I tell you today that if you are that young person, you are in that category that we were explaining, maybe today in your life, you do not have anyone speaking into your life. Maybe you don't have one speaking the blessings of God over you. But if that's you, don't leave that way today. Look around this room. There are people here who care about you, who want to invest in you. Myself and the pastors here, we care about you. We don't just care about you as a, just as a person, but we care deeply about your soul. And if I could say, you need people to journey this life with you. You cannot do this thing alone. So don't leave here today. Don't be afraid to approach someone from another generation because um, even if they don't know you right now, by knowing you, they will learn to love you. So Ruth believed that it would still be better to face everything with Naomi than go back. You know, we're all needing those people to go alongside us to help us navigate these things that make us human. And this is what I love about Paul and Timothy's friendship. Paul feels so fondly of Timothy that he calls him his beloved child. How many of us can say today that we have really pulled someone in from a younger generation and said, you know what? I didn't birth you, but you're mine. I did not, we didn't know each other at the beginning, but you know what? We're, that's not how going to be how the story ends. For us, though, we see this play out between Paul and between Timothy in his letters. He addresses him with a personalness that can only come from truly knowing somebody. Paul addresses his fears. He knows exactly where to encourage Timothy. He even knows the things that physically ail Timothy's body. Paul knows him so well that based off of just Paul's communications to Timothy and how laser accurate he is into those things, we can understand who Timothy is as a person. That's powerful. But what I love is that they didn't only talk about the good stuff. Right? Isn't it easy in our groups, in, our, uh, in our, our social circles, it's so easy to talk about the good things in life. But they talked about the things that were not going well. They didn't shy away from the things that were in their life that did not align with God's will. They knew each other's hardships and each other's struggles and each other's shortcomings. 
You see, it's in these hardships that we truly get to know someone. Anyone can put on the polished self. We don't have to look any further than Facebook or Instagram to understand that. In my own life, I noticed how many people are willing to celebrate the mountaintop moments with me. But when it comes time to travel through the, journey, through the valley of life, there are only a precious few that remain. I am thankful for those who've been there through me thick and thin. I have had some older men and women who have spoken into those seasons and given me perspective that I would not have had otherwise. And to be honest, without those words of wisdom, without those words of encouragement, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where I would be with my walk with the Lord or, or just in life as general. But there's people who are older and wiser than me who spoke right into my life and changed it because of their boldness. But these relationships started with simple acts of intentionality. It started with the sending of a text. It was the, the periodic phone call. It was, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee, or where they could sit down and they could get to know the personal details of my life. I think one of the best gifts that we can give a young person is the time to get to understand the details of their lives. As mentors, we'll need to be bold. We'll need to be vulnerable but ultimately, God will bless it. One of the ways you can find this relationship, though, if, if you don't have this, someone that you can pour into, is simply by joining one of our ministries today. Shameless plug here, because guess what? Across our campuses, in our kids' ministries, in our youth ministry, there are young people that are coming every single week who do not have that person speaking those blessings in their life. There is a, a young person who needs your voice, even though you may not feel qualified, you may not feel like you have the right words or anything else to make it happen, can I just tell you, you just showing up and showing up with a smile, being there for these young ones, that will make all the difference. It will change a life today just by you simply showing up and being willing to serve our youth And it is through this relationship that leads me to our second point. We need to be encouraging the gift of God in the next generation. Come on, church. So many young people experience external pressures to make them question their ability to succeed in life. But it makes us ask the question, what does it mean to succeed? What does it truly mean to be successful? Is it to acquire as much wealth as possible? No, Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Is it for us to acquire all the nicest material possessions that we can have, like cars and a house and trendy clothes? Jesus said, no, these things will be destroyed by rust and eaten by moss. Oh, it must be that we need to gain as much of a celebrity following as we possibly can, right? No, Jesus said, What does it prosper you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So how then will we define success for this next generation? I would like to dare to define it for us, that it is to love God, to love others, and use your giftings to serve him. Paul tells Timothy, remember the giftings that the Lord has placed inside of you. He's speaking specifically to the calling the Lord has on his life. He tells him to stir it up, the fan, fan the flame of the gift that God has given you. 
And that word picture is like stoking the embers of a fire. Keep it roaring. Keep it going. Paul is encouraging him. And I imagine if we had Paul speaking in the language of today, it would probably sound something like this. Son, you have good stuff on the inside of you. God has placed it there himself. And if the Lord has placed it in there, then no man can take that away from you. There are moments even in my own life that I can go back to where I remember someone speaking into it, encouraging me that God was going to do something through me. These moments, which were sometimes just a quick word of encouragement, still inspire me today to keep pushing on. There's one particular moment that still inspires me is just a few years ago, me and Pastor Mike and some people here from the church, we went and served in Houston in some hurricane relief. And during that time, you know, we were working long days. It was, it was awesome to see just so many people of God coming around side to help those who were hurting in their time in need. But for me, when I was coming back from that trip, we were getting back super late on Saturday night, and I had to be up early to actually preach here on Sunday morning. And so I was prepping through the week, and I was just all in my head. I was like, man, I don't know that what I have to share is anything good. I don't think these thoughts are running together. Man, I, I don't know. I'm just really doubting this thing, and I'm working so hard on this. And I remember sitting on the plane, because I was trying to study. I was trying to get every moment of studying in before, um, before we landed, and I needed to go to sleep. And I remember that there's a lady here in the church, and she spoke a word that I'll never forget. I was sitting right next to her, and I was talking to her about my message, and she said, whoa, 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 honey, slow down. She said, what do you have to worry about? Who do you have to impress? You're already a son of the house, and you're approved. So just go and speak God's words. And can I tell you, that changed everything for me as a pastor? That... Because there's, there's most to be honest, like my very first communication class I ever took in Bible college, I like failed my first assignment. Like, uh, no joke, I got up. I had to share this story. I was working all night on it. I start, I start going through the message, and I'm like, and, and like everything was gone. Everything. I had my note cards, everything. It was just gone, blank. And I just said, and thank you. And I walked out. <laughs> and I failed that, that assignment. That's a true story. But from that moment on, because the fear of that always still lingers, right? And I know for many people it does as well, and sometimes the fear of that holds them back from achieving all that God has for them, and they're, and they're called to ministry. And so one of the things that I've been able, that word has blessed me so much that I've been able to then go and bless those who God's given me to invest in and say, hey, what do you have to worry about? You are approved. You are a son and daughter of this house. And, and hey, I got your back. You just got to go. You just got to preach God's word. You're going to do fantastic. That word of encouragement changed everything. It reminds me of a story that's in the Old Testament, and it's about the prophet Samuel, who at this time is a young boy. The Bible says that at, in those days that the word of the Lord was rare. The priests were not hearing from God. Eli, who was the priest, was Samuel's mentor. And one evening, as they were preparing for bed, a voice calls out to Samuel. So Samuel goes into Eli's room and says, You called me? Eli told him, I did not call for you. Go back to your room and go lie down. And this happened several more times throughout the night. And it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. But Eli realized, an older saint with experience, what exactly is happening 
So the next time it happened, he tells Samuel, hey, go back and lie down, and if he, the Lord, calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, Samuel went from knowing, not knowing the voice of the Lord to becoming a revered prophet. This was all because Eli encouraged Samuel to just listen. Through his relationship with Eli, Samuel grew in his gifting. And through Samuel's gifting, the word of the Lord came back to Israel once again. Eli could have been jealous. He could have, been, have resented Samuel for his gift. But instead, he chose to invest in him, recognizing that the gift was placed in him by God. And through that gifting, the heart of Israel was awakened towards the Lord once again. Because an old man was willing to pour into a young boy, the nation of Israel was once again blessed. And this is a complete sidebar, a separate story. This is just something funny that I read as we were, as we were preparing for this. But it talks about how things continue to go on and Samuel continues to grow in his gifting. But it talks about how Eli dies. And it's in a very odd way. You see, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen and he finds out his sons have died as well. 1 Samuel 4.18 says this, When he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man and he was very heavy. He had led 40 years I don't know about you, but imagine that if he had not raised up Israel, if he had not raised up Samuel. I think about that, and that, that story is just so ironic. It's, it's so, it seems so misplaced. But imagine if that would have been Eli's legacy. Oh, that's the man that was so fat, as it was put in one translation, that he fell off a chair and broke his neck and died. It's crazy. So the moral of the story is, don't let the giftings of God grow old and fat and die in you. Paul did not let that happen with Timothy, though. Timothy is constantly encouraged that in their letters to be bold for the teachings of Jesus and to even suffer for them. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And in purity, that leads me to my last point, is that we need to be an example. We need to be an example for this next generation. I believe the best place that you and I can start today is by honoring the generation that came before us. You know, the other week we wrapped up our series on honor, and if you did not get to be here during that time, or you have not heard those messages, I would encourage you to go back and to listen to them. You know, we need to honor those who came before us. This isn't easy, but we need to keep pressing on to get it right because the generation before us does not need to do, have done everything right before we can show them honor. Yeah. If we don't put honor into practice, then why would we expect the upcoming generations to honor us? If we cannot lead by example, if we continue in this culture of hostility, what are we bringing our young people up into? How are we setting them up to succeed. Next, we need to lead in the way of orthodoxy. It's not a word we use a whole lot anymore. It kind of brings up imagery of old, dried-up religion. But I think it's something that we need to rediscover as a word once again. You see, a person who aligns themselves with the teachings 
of Jesus truly stands out from the world in this day. And to stand in unison with, the, with Jesus' teachings is to be orthodox. We are in a time where Christians are willing to compromise on the teachings of Jesus. They're willing to compromise on the teachings of Scripture to appeal to a culture in an attempt to be non-abrasive. And I just don't know that that's the way we go. I don't know that that leads the next generation to a place that God is calling us. I heard one critic of Christianity say this. They said, if the church is only willing to offer something I already have, but slap a Jesus sticker on it, then why would I want it? And I think a better question is, why would you die for that? This next generation is looking to see individuals and leaders who are not ashamed of Jesus and his teachings, but are okay with living out of sync with the world if it means living in alignment with the Lord. And one thing that's not in my notes here that I, I want to share, I just feel pressed upon the Lord, is I think so many of our young people, they, they look up to these stars, they look up to these people who are trying to acquire so much wealth and I believe that our young people have bought into the American dream that life is supposed to be about upward mobility, that I need it better than the last generation. I need to acquire just a little bit more wealth. I need to get a better car than my parents. But can I tell you that if we are looking for our lives to constantly go up and to the right, we might not find Jesus on that path. That we have created such narrow margin in our life to spend time with people. We are working to just acquire things, but for what reason? At what point did we begin to believe that material possessions was the thing that provided our eternal security? Because this is, this is what I see playing out, is that our young people are looking to continue to go up and to the right. How can I become the wealthiest person before I die? But can I say that that did not model the life of Jesus? His life was actually down and to the left, so far that he suffered on a cross, went to hell for you and I, so that we didn't have to, and not so that we could pursue upward mobility. But that ultimately, we could pursue faithfulness. We could pursue faithfulness. I believe God wants to bless us, church. Don't hear me say that. I believe he wants to bless us. But if the aim of our life is to be able to just have done these great massive things at the sake of being faithful to the Lord, what example are we setting for our children and for those that are watching us? And many of them are watching us burn out and die spiritually. This generation is looking for leaders who are not ashamed of Jesus and his teachings. Paul reminds Timothy of this several times. He tells him to preach and live out what he has received from the Lord. He tells him to not be afraid, but that he has received power, love, and self-control through the Holy Spirit. And it's really important for us to remember this, is that as we are seeking to be an example for this next generation, it is better that we are present than try to be perfect. This is something that I frequently have to remind myself because my own personal tendency is towards perfectionism. 
but I'm reminded that as I'm investing in others, I do not need to carry this unnecessary pressure that I'm supposed to have all the right words at all the right time. That I am somehow supposed to be perfect for the individuals that the Lord has allowed me to speak into their lives and somehow take the place of Jesus for them. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned, though, is that from these experiences is that my presence is more important than me being perfect for them. As I stated earlier, in our darkest moments, we need people. And we need people to journey with us. What I love about the context of of this, of this letter here that, Tim, uh, that Paul is writing to Timothy is that this is one of Paul's last letters. So essentially, he knows that this is one of the last times he's going to be able to write before he goes and this life ends and he goes to see the Lord. And what does he do? He's telling Timothy, hey, continue on. Come on, we've built a relationship you need to encourage that gift, the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. I've put good stuff in you. The Lord has placed good things in you. Now don't be afraid. Stand up for God. Stand up for the church. And in this, Paul's actually writing from the depths of a Roman prison, not knowing how much time's left. And the sad thing is Paul has invested in so many people. He's had so many other ministers that aren't really even really celebrated. But the thing that you find here is that they had all left him in his moment of need. They left him in a hole to rot. But he reaches out to Timothy and he says, hey, my beloved child, I miss you. I miss you. Will you come and just make one more visit to me You know, Paul knew that the end of his life was near, but he wanted Timothy to be present with him. Why? Because he wanted to invest in him one more time. He wanted to stir up the gifting of God in him one last time. And this is the heart of someone who is seeking to empower the next generation. This is the heart of someone who is thinking three. Listen to the words of King David that he penned as he realized he's drawing near to the end of his life as well. Psalm 71, 18 says, So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. That's the purpose. To tell one more generation about the Lord and all of his glory. To invite another generation into the greatest blessing that we have. Do you believe that? In John 17, this is in one of Jesus' last prayers before he goes to the cross. Did you know that he prayed for you and I? Did you know that he prayed for every believer, even the people who have not yet come to believe? He was praying for future generations of believers. And in one of his last prayers, Jesus said, I pray not only for those who currently know me, but I pray for those who will come to know me through their word. It's time for us to continue to keep sharing the message of Jesus. 
It's time for us to empower the next generation. Imagine if we don't. Imagine that if we choose to shrink back and not take courage, not choose vulnerability, not choose to build these relationships, where will the next generation be? Will it look like the 25% who do not, the 75% who do not feel empowered? Or will it look once again like a shrinking population of Christians in America? Jesus embodied this though through empowering his disciples. He thought beyond the three. His disciples knew that this legacy that they were a part of was bigger than themselves. Let me challenge us with this today. If they were willing to sacrifice their lives to ensure that this message would reach us today, how much more important is it for us to continue to pour into the next generation church? That's our purpose. Will you pray with me? God, I just ask today, Lord, that you embolden your church. God, that you would empower us through the Holy Spirit to do the things that you've set before us. I'm reminded in your word where it says, I have laid out works that you may walk in them. Lord, at the end of our lives, let us be found having had walked in them. God, give us the strength and the mercy and the grace that we need today to do these hard things. God, to set aside things that we shouldn't be prioritizing. God, that we might take your love to another generation. Lord, that another generation might be able to, just as David said, they learned of the things of God. They learned of his power and his glory because someone was willing to go and preach one more time. So Lord God, I thank you for your word. Empower us to do it. And we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.